That's Tom. We call him TiVo, and uh, he pl- you'll probably see him playing down there this afternoon if you go and play. And you can, by the way. There's a group, I don't know if you know this, there's a group that plays almost every single Sunday afternoon from 2 to 5, and it's all levels. There's the court for the people who know what they're doing. There's the court for the people who are not very good but learning. And then there's a the court for the people who are just awful, and they just roll the ball out and say good luck, and they turn the other way. But you, wherever you find yourself, uh, you can play, and that's the way that we want this church to be, too, that everybody is is welcome. Wherever you find yourself in your spiritual journey, you can feel at home here. We're all in a different place on this journey. We're all figuring out what it means to follow Jesus and what it looks like and what he has for our life. And we hope that you feel welcome here. And we hope that like Tom, you feel comfortable inviting your friends and family and neighbors and the people you play volleyball with, work with, your kids, coaches, all that kind of stuff inviting them to be a part of this community. You see that we don't have very many seats left, especially at this service, and that's why what Jeb was talking about, we are moving to the Regency Movie Theater and taking that thing over uh, later this year and renovating it and all that kind of stuff. So when you hear people talk about it, if you're on the newer side of things, that's what they're talking about. They have images and all kinds of stuff that you can get a picture of what's coming out on the patio, and, uh, and that's what we're excited about, and giving toward and all that kind of stuff. So That is that. We are so glad that you are here this morning, and uh, we have an interesting, great time ahead of us. And I want to tell you uh, this little random story. If you don't know my son, Jack, he's three years old, and he's a good time. He's running around here somewhere, and and this past week, I was in charge of babysitting the boys. Jack is is three, Henry is one. And Hillary was doing some Pilates, and so I was on, and it was the morning hours, and I had to try to convince Jack to eat breakfast. You don't have to convince Henry to eat breakfast. That guy has not missed a meal. He puts away anything you put in front of him. He's, he's consuming it. And so he's up in his high chair, and he's had his breakfast, but I'm, I'm you know, giving him a few more crackers or whatever, and I'm, Jack, come on, breakfast time. Come on, Jack, let's go. And he is so focused on his toys that he can't even perceive that anything else is happening. So I have to go get a little bit closer to him. And I say, Jack, come up and eat breakfast with us. And he turns around and I see that he's got the Hulk mask on. (laughs) And he gives me the full Hulk impression. He says, I'm not Jack. (laughs) In his little kid Hulk voice, three years old. I'm the Hulk. Okay, Hulk, well, you come eat breakfast. I know that you must be hungry. No. I want to play with your kid, Jack. <laughs> I mean, what do you say to that? That's just, you are so smart. Okay, you, you, I'll bring some breakfast to you, I guess, Hulk. He is so funny, but he really believes, I think, in his mind that in some way he's kind of a superhero. And he sees himself in those ways. And when he's on the swing, he doesn't swing on his rear facing this way. He lays on his stomach and pretends he's Superman. He, he is always viewing himself that way. And if you think that that's just like a three-year-old thing, it's not. I want to encourage you to consider that you might view yourself in a way that's not quite entirely accurate or helpful. Even as you grow up, it might not be a superhero that you think you are, but you might be thinking of yourself and imagining yourself or trying to be something that's not really who you want to be, really, when it comes down to it, or that's tainted 
by experiences or words or voices or things that other people have told you that you need to be or that you need to chase or that you need to strive for. And it might not be helpful. So what I want to do in our few minutes together this morning is to give you a mirror that you can look at and you can see yourself, hopefully, in a slightly different light, a slightly different focus for who you are, where you're going, how you identify yourself. And then from there to hand you lenses that you can see through new lenses the world around you, especially your problems, your struggles, the difficult things that are coming crashing down on your life either right now or you know that that stuff is coming or maybe it's right very real and present for people that you love. So we're kicking off a series today on the book of James. It's a book in the later part of the Bible in what's called the New Testament. And James, it turns out, was Jesus' brother. So same mom, different dad, so to speak. You know, the whole divine thing. And so James grew up as Jesus' younger brother. Who is this guy? I think he's the most underrated hero in the Bible. And here's a couple of things that you should know about James. One, he was wise and relevant. Wise and relevant. Look at this verse from Acts 15. It says, And so my judgment is, this is James talking, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Now James is saying this words. Debbie, you can just leave that up there for a second. James is saying these words in a room full of religious leaders 2,000 years ago. People who were wrestling with what outsiders to their new Christian faith had to do to clean themselves up to be acceptable to God. So as people are hearing about Jesus, are you kidding me? He was really the God of the universe? He rose from that cross that he died on because everybody knew that he was famously crucified on a cross. He rose, he's real, that's legit, and he saved the world? Are you kidding me? And they start following this Jesus. Well, a lot of them are a mess. A lot of them came with all kinds of baggage, all kinds of issues, and they're messy, doing messy things, and they're making messes of relationships, and they have this weird philosophy and thinking, and, and so the religious leaders are saying, hey, we need to clean these people up. We need to have them go through two years of this academy before we can let them call themselves Christians. We need to make them more Jewish. We need to give them more rituals. We need to fix their bad behaviors. We need to, we need to, we need to, and it's hoops and jumps and religious behavior type stuff. And James stands up and goes, whoa, 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 whoa. It's my judgment, and I'm Jesus' brother, by the way. It's my judgment <laughs> that we should not make it difficult for outsiders to come to Jesus. That's what Jesus would want. Do you remember how he used to hang out with the worst of sinners? Do you remember how some of you in this room were absolutely awful human beings, and then he put his arm around you? We should not make it difficult for any outsider to encounter the loving God who created them. That was James. And he's speaking to a room full of religious people that are like, oh yeah, I guess that's true, but I really like my rules and rituals and my things that help me stay holy, quote. James was wise and he was relevant and he wanted everyone to have access to God. Number two, he was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Acts 21 says, the next day Paul went to meet with us, went to meet with James, and all the other elders of Jerusalem of church were present. So Jerusalem was the center of Israel. It's the capital place in Israel. And so it's kind of the center of the universe for those people, the Jewish nation. And that was a big deal that James was a leader 
in that church and in that community. So he was highly regarded, highly respected. And then the third thing I've already mentioned, he was Jesus' half-brother. Or the other brother, if you know what I mean. Some of you come from those kind of families where you were the other sibling. And how often do you think that James heard these words? Why can't you just be more like Jesus? (laughs) And it's okay, James. You're not the last little kid over the last 2,000 years who has heard that question. But James lived with that every day of his life. The dysfunction, imagine the dysfunction in the family. And James, the ultimate Jan Brady of, you know, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. I just can't (laughs) take this anymore. And him being overshadowed and overlooked and underperforming. His older brother was not just put on a pedestal. He was literally perfect. Can you imagine anything more annoying than that? As you're struggling through school, as you're not walking on water, James' road was a difficult one. And then I imagine James trying to lie to Jesus about the dent he put in his car. He was like, no, Jesus, it wasn't my fault, I promise. This punk kid was skateboarding, and I was stopped at the light, and he just ran into the back of the car, and there's nothing I could do about it. And Jesus like, really, James? Is that what happened? Because I saw you texting and driving. You were there? Sort of. Imagine that dynamic, trying to live through that. I am sure, I am sure that James was the first person to take the Lord's name in vain. I am convinced that he, slow, slow on that. That's funny, people. I'm joking about all that because I really actually believe that the dynamic in the home was different. I, I, when you see Jesus as he interacts with people throughout his ministry, he seemed to say the right thing to the right person every time. And it was a different thing. Sometimes he would challenge and call them to a higher standard because that was what that person needed in that moment. Other times, just, incre- just oozing with grace and compassion and mercy because that's what the person needed in the moment. He always had the right word. He always had the appropriate touch. He always gave an invitation that people were compelled by. And so I think that even though they were brothers and there was that sibling rivalry thing, that somehow Jesus breathed life into James. Because as we're going to see in these first few verses of James, James loved his brother Jesus. And it was so far beyond just the honoring of an older brother worthy of admiration. It it goes to the point of worship. I see you as the God of the universe. And then he sees himself as Jesus' servant. Crazy. Here's what it says, James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Notice he doesn't introduce himself as Jesus' brother. He would have been way more popular with the girls had he just dropped that a little bit more frequently. Hey, Jesus' brother, Jesus' younger, better-looking brother, who's not in heaven, by the way. I'm available. I'm here. I'm... <laughs> Don't know if you... He doesn't do that. He goes the complete opposite direction. Servant, he says. Servant of this Jesus. I am his servant. It's often translated by the word bond servant. Bond servant 
means a person bound in service without wages because in that day, if you had a debt that you couldn't pay, you could sell yourself in essence to the person that you were indebted to and just work off the debt payment. So if I had a debt that I couldn't pay to someone, I would just go and say, I'll be your permanent Uber driver for the next five years uh, until this is paid off because I don't have the cash. And so James is saying, I am so indebted, not just to my older brother, but to the God of the universe, that I am like his bondservant. I am at his service. That's who I am. Let's not even talk about brother, and I'm not trying to posture myself and position myself. I'm his servant, and I'm happy to be. 21 years old, and I was in college, and I got invited, I got to go to the National Prayer Breakfast in Washington, D.C., and was where the president speaks in the ballroom and everything. I didn't even get to be in the ballroom. I was in auxiliary room watching it on a screen, by the way, so don't be impressed. But I got invited to this little young leaders deal one of the nights, and so I went into this room at the top of one of these hotels, and it was so hot, and there were so many people piled in there, and it was late at night, and I was bored out of my mind, and so I snuck out the back. I was like, enough of this young leader mumbo-jumbo. This is boring me to tears, and so I snuck out, and I'm walking down the halls of this hotel, and coming my way is this little old woman, at least 90 years old. She has a walker, or at least a cane, and she's just slowly shuffling toward me. And as she sees me, she slows down even more, almost to a complete stop. And she looks up at me and she smiles. And she says, hello, young man. And I get a little nervous because I'm like, does she know that I just ditched out on this special thing that I was invited to because it was boring? And I said, hi. And she says, what's your name, young man? I said, Caleb. I'm Caleb. What's your name? She said, ah, Caleb. I like that name. My name's Emma. I'm like, nice to meet you, Emma. Again, still thinking, am I in trouble? What's going on here? This is strange. And then she just kind of looks into my eyes, and I felt, I wondered if she was looking like, through my eyes into my soul. <laughs> and she said, Caleb, what do you want for your life? I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I want room service right now is what I want. I, I don't know, I'm 21 I was 21 years old. I was in my senior year at USC, and I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And I thought, oh, I, I probably mumbled something to her about using this business education to make some money and leverage it for good in the kingdom of God and do some things like that. And she just nodded and looked at me, and she said, that's nice. <laughs> and then she paused, and I wondered if we were done, but she like, looked piercingly at me and said, Caleb, pray to be a bond servant of Jesus Christ. Nothing more, nothing less. I said, okay. (laughs) And I didn't know what the heck she was talking about, but I could tell that there was something significant that had just happened there, and I just slowly kind of walked away, and she walked away even slower. And, And as she shuffled down the hallway, and I took a few more steps. I looked back, and I, pro- I promise you, she wasn't there anymore. Now, I don't, it was a big, maybe she had a room there, maybe she turned a corner, anything could have happened, but she wasn't there. And I looked, and I wondered, that might have been important. So I'm going to tuck that away, and, <laughs> and see what happens. And and I went on with my life, and through the, these next, last 15, 16 years, 
I have had ups and I have had downs, and I have had seasons where I was desperately trying to prove something, as if I had an older brother that I, that I was just under the shadow of, and, and I should be there, and I should be here, and I should be better, and, I, and if I could just have this status, I could, if I could just be looked at in, in this way, and then I've had other seasons where I've been radically humbled and embarrassed and gone through difficult times. And I've had seasons where things have come easily and seasons where things have come really differently. And into my mind pops those words. Caleb, pray to be a servant of Jesus. Nothing more, nothing less. And I pause and I ask myself, what is it that I'm trying to be instead? And so I just wanted to create a few moments for you right now to consider what is it that you're trying to be instead? Because those words that Emma spoke to me come out of this. As James refers to himself in this way, overshadowed his whole life by his brother and somehow he gets to the place where it doesn't matter. There's nothing else to strive for. He's perfectly content and whole servant of the God of the universe. Ask yourself, What title are you chasing? What status are you looking for? What are you still unsatisfied because you don't have something that you think that you need and you're running after this as if it's going to be your byline and your message to the world that's going to make you more significant? Is it CEO? Is it independent? Business owner? Comfortable? needed, significant, the boss. Jesus said in Matthew 16, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Not only is your soul at stake, but chasing after status and title, it's just stupid. There will always be an older brother figure that's better than you at whatever it is that you want to be great at. There will always be someone else that comes along and eclipses you. There will always be someone else that outshadows you in some way and is going to, if, if, if that is your goal, if that is your thing that you link your identity to, you will always be insecure because it will never be enough. You will always come up short in one way or another. And you'll live a life of comparison. Oh, is he doing it better? Oh, is she doing it better? Oh, is, how come I'm not where that person is yet? And you won't be satisfied. What if, like James, you could get to the place where you said, my life in service of God, whatever other role I play, great. It's in service of the God of the universe. James discovered that a servant is simply someone who aligns their life with God. My life aligned with you. My life, my best stuff, my titles, my significance, my achievements in alignment with what you want for me. I was reading an article recently about a guy who directs playwrights. And people were praising him as this impressive guy. He's able, they said, to draw out the best in people and just make these special productions unlike what most people are capable. And so they interviewed him and they, they asked him, what, what is it? And he says, well, it's, it's simply this. 
I try to find each person's unique voice and remind them that their voice is part of the bigger show. We need them to bring the best of what they have in their uniqueness, and we need them to remember that they're part of the bigger play. My life in alignment with God's bigger story. Your life in alignment with God's bigger story. So hold up the mirror and ask yourself, what if I shifted my perspective of myself? What if I looked at myself a little bit differently? What if I didn't compare myself to everyone else and their titles and accomplishments? Come what may, I'm still going to work, I'm still going to do these things, but I'm going to leverage them and make sure that they're aligned, ultimately, with being a servant of God. Oh, by the way, the God who gave me life in the beginning, who keeps lungs, my air, air in my lungs right now in this moment, who sustains my life now, the God who showed up on this earth in a humble human form with skin on, like me, and went through this earth and then ended up dying on a cross for the sins of the world, that we could have a relationship with God, and then raised himself from the dead, which is pretty impressive. That God, my life in alignment with that God. I guess it makes sense since he's given me life in the first place. So I want to give you a moment and on your outline, if you want to play along, if you have a pen or a cell phone or whatever, just take a moment and write your name on that blank line. Caleb, servant of God. Reflect for a moment and ask yourself, what are those titles that seem to be more valuable to you? Why are they more valuable? And then make this a moment of refocusing as you hold up that mirror. Your name, servant of God. We look at ourselves first because we need to have that as the foundation before we look at our struggles. Now we're going to look at the issues, the things that press against us. But first and foremost, we start with the foundation of making sure our identity is settled. And then we go on as James leads us in the very next verse. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Consider it pure joy when you face difficulties, struggles. Probably as you walk in here today, you're not considering your problems pure joy. I'm just going to go out on a limb. That's not my default mechanism. I don't naturally celebrate the stuff that comes up in my life. In fact, if you're going through a really difficult time, that might at first even strike you as offensive. And what James is not saying is this Pollyanna, everything is fine mentality. He's not just blowing sunshine. He's recognizing that there is great pain. There is great heartache. There is 
great struggle. In fact, in his day, their situation was far worse than ours. They were being persecuted constantly. In the 20 years following when James is writing this, Christians are being burned at stakes, burned alive. The entire city of Jerusalem is just demolished. They understood pain and difficulty. They are not pretending James is not pretending that your difficulty and your pain isn't real. Instead, he's just inviting you to consider it differently. The Greek idea there is to rethink. Rethink your trials, your pain, your problems. Right now, you're thinking about them this way. Rethink them. Tilt, turn, and think about them a little bit differently. Yes, you can be honest about the pain. Yes, you can be real about the struggle. Yes, even if you're going through a pretty easy patch right now, you know what's coming. Be honest, be real. But you have reason to choose a better response. You don't have to give up hope. You don't have to throw in the towel. You don't have to submit to the despair. You don't have to wander through life, from problem to problem, thinking that you're cursed or you're bound to this struggle, you can think about it differently. I have a very good friend of mine, my longest friend, who is going through a really difficult thing right now. Just found out this past week that he's got a massive tumor. And they did the biopsy, and they're not going to know for a few more days what the status is. But he's young. He has young kids, and he and his family are looking at, either way, a tough road, and what might be a really, really tough road. And I got to talk to them this week, and I don't have answers for that. I don't have sunshine for that. I don't have, it's hard. It's, it's not good. And yet, we were able to talk about these very verses and say, I don't know why. I don't know why this stuff happens. I don't know how God is going to make this better. But I believe that he will. I believe what Romans says, that God works all things for the good of those who love him. And I don't know how, and I don't know why, and I don't want to diminish the pain, and I know that it's real, and I know that many of us are right in the middle of it, and people that we love. And we can think differently about our struggles, knowing that God is working for good, and knowing what James says, that he is producing in us the ability to persevere, to endure, to keep on keeping on. And endurance is like, it's like a muscle. The more you make the decision, you make the decision today, I'm gonna push through. I'm gonna choose to look at this differently. I'm gonna invite you, God, to produce joy even in the midst of my pain. And I'm gonna flex these muscles of endurance and I'm gonna keep going. Well, you're gonna have to choose that again tomorrow and you're gonna have to keep building those muscles. And then all of a sudden you'll notice you're down the road and nothing can stop you. You break through the quitting points of life. 
whatever comes your way, you will have seen that in this situation, God was faithful. In this situation, God was faithful. In this situation, I don't know how he did it, but he worked that for good too. And so I trust him now and I can endure and persevere no matter what because I have seen what he has done through my life, through my, my story, time after time. Oh, and by the way, it's just me in alignment with whatever it is that he wants for my life. And I will trust you, God, regardless of the situation that I find myself in. So let me just tell you, give you a little example that might seem silly on the surface, but it's going to stick with some of you. Imagine that you won the Caleb lottery. And the Caleb lottery is up this week to $100 million dollars. And so I come to you and I say, you can have $100 million right now on the spot. Or, over the rest of your life, I will give you the gift that God gives of endurance and perseverance. And you will have this gift in spades. And you will persevere no matter what happens. What would you choose? Almost all of you would choose the money, I know. And like everyone else who chooses, who wins the lottery, you will lose it all. You will bust through all of your relationships. I mean, it's a disaster. Google it. Everyone who wins the lottery, or nine out of ten, just destroy their lives. Or, or if you choose the gift of endurance, you will find that no matter what happens in your life, you keep this optimistic hopeful perspective and that you have this unreasonable joy bubbling up from inside you that the circumstances cannot justify, but it's this mysterious gift that God gives you regardless of what you're going through and you crash through all the quitting points in life and you push through and you push through and you excel and at work you do your job to the best of your abilities and some and others are inspired and you never stop, you never give up, you never quit and opportunity after opportunity and blessing after blessing just finds you like a magnet and you find yourself with the respect of many and you find yourself with contentment in your soul and you're making all kinds of progress that many others are benefiting from. And no matter what it is that happens in your life, you deal with it with grace, with hope, and with a strange joy that makes you an unbelievably compelling person. That's the good life. That's what Jesus is getting at when he says things like, I come to give you life to the full. Full, meaningful, purposeful. Not easy, but good. Good. And you can find for yourself that even your problems now become stepping stones to progress. So I want to invite you, look at this next blank line. I want to ask you to put your struggle there. I know you've already thought of what it is or someone that you love. Put it right there and choose today to rethink about this struggle and see that it's more than an obstacle. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity 
to flex those endurance muscles and let God make you more and more into a person that powers through, that trusts him despite the circumstances. That can be who you are. That can be your story. Servant of the God of the universe your life in alignment with the story that he's telling. And then regardless of the things that come your way, you crash through the quitting points. You look for his silver lining. You trust that as bad as it is, that the God of the universe is the only one who specializes in bringing good out of bad. And that he is creating in you the capacity to persevere through anything that may come in your future. He's doing that now. You can trust him and you can carry on. God, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for the strength that you provide. And I pray that you would give us the conviction to trust you even more. And that you would help us, God, to follow you to just consider ourselves at your service. That everything else that you bless us with, and you do bless us in so many ways, that we would just look to leverage that in alignment with the story that you are telling, and that we would play our part. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and respond with us?